On this episode, we find out what made Marie Antoinette say this. No, I'm so serious. Edit that out. I'm so serious. And what made Sedavion say this. Can I get open and honest? Yes. Can I, Marie Antoinette, can I get open and honest? I'm Sedavion with the powers of the sun. I'm Marie Antoinette with the forces of the moon. And, and this, this is, is Black Syzygy. Go Twitches, go Twitches. Hello everyone, welcome to season two of the Black Syzygy Podcast. Boom, boom, boom. Welcome, hey. That is right. We have <laughs> changed our name from the Twitches podcast to the Black Syzygy podcast. Still the same old podcast. We just decided to switch things up a little bit. You honestly add a little bit more spice to the name. Yeah, uh, we just changed still- our baby's clothing, really. Yeah. She went um, from like Target to Hermes, you know? Yeah. Yeah. But still very much go Twitches. Go to Twitch. In fact, you want to do the thing? Mm-hmm. Let's do the thing. You ready to do the thing? Yeah, I'm ready to do the thing. Okay. I'm Sedavion with the powers of the sun. I'm Marie Antoinette with the forces of the moon. And, and this, this is, is Black Syzygy. Remote, so I know that wasn't in sync, but you get the picture. Did you guys like our new intro? I love it. Marie Antoinette, how do you feel about the new intro? I love it. I'm obsessed with it. Oh, also our new cover photo. <gasps> it's stunning. Oh my guys. I know. Our it's little, stunning. Our, it's so good. Office. I love it it's so, so much. It's so perfect also because I'm now at the, I call it the Peterium. That's my nickname for it. Don't, <laughs> don't dog me. Do not dog me for that. Uh, but I now work at the Planetarium, which I've wanted to work at since I feel like I've literally been eight. So yeah. We love that for you. You guys know from previous podcasts, Marie's obsessed with space. Blah, 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 blah. Oh, also, by the way, that photo is not edited. We really do have powers. Oh, I'm telling them that. That's supposed to be a secret. Okay. Well, they can see it in the photo. Well, I took video, photo edit evidence of it. Like, okay, wow. but they didn't know that it was an edit. Okay, you know what? We got to edit this Okay, up. you made points. You- <laughs> it was edited, guys. Just joking. It- it's fake. Blah, blah. <laughs> How are you doing today, Sadevian? I'm good. I'm I'm really good. I took a nap. You know I don't nap, which was wild. My body just shut down because good. you and I were did. being crackheads late last night. But um, yeah, how are you? I'm good. I got to work with the dinos today. Oh, here she goes. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> okay, wait. Okay, tell everybody where you work. Now, okay. let me just say before you get into it, this is not a joke. This is not a bit. I feel like me saying this also makes people think it, it's probably a bit. <laughs> it's not a but bit. But she's serious. She's serious. She's really serious. Okay. So I work at Jurassic World. So basically mm-hmm. every morning I get up and I take a ferry to the Jurassic World Island. And <laughs> sounds so fake. <laughs> like this is wild to me. She's so serious, y'all. Anyway, sorry. Go ahead. Um, and my position there is I'm a baby dino handler. So I work in the nursery with the baby dinos. And I also get to work. I'm also a part of the asset containment unit. Um, mm-hmm. Not well trained for the asset containment unit. <laughs> uh, but <laughs> basically, we keep the assets in containment. And if they're not, then that's a really big problem. Right. Um, I saw a kid today, in fact, 
uh, that reminded me of you. That reminds me because today we had an asset out of containment. That means there was a <laughs> dino on the loose. I feel like you're trying. Me. Why, what about this kid? Because because okay. let's just be clear. I'm one. I'm one and only. Okay. Oh no, he was you. He was you. Um, so you're like his name was Sedavion. <laughs> we no had an asset out of containment today, which basically means that one of the dinosaurs got loose. And um, it was a T-Rex. It was a T-Rex that got loose. <laughs> so, you know, she's out and we're like trying to get the, you know, the gate, the code's not working. We're trying to talk to headquarters, see what's up, uh, trying to get a new code from them. And she starts looking at us, the T-Rex. And I'm like, everyone stay still. Her eyes are movement based. I saw that in a movie once. And this kid, he does like, he does like a whole 180. And he has like glasses on, his eyes are like squinted and he like tilts his head to the side. And he's like, really? Like he looks at me so stupid. <laughs> and I was like, oh, that's the day. That is the day you know, you know, we might be a little similar. I'll say that. Mm -hmm. but and not we're too trying much. to figure out the code <laughs> to the gate. And he's gonna and he's gonna say, you know, I think we should be on that side of the gate. I think that's where we should be trying to get. And I was like, okay. Oh my god, he's funny. I want to meet him. I think we'd be besties. You know what? He might be an INTJ. So you know what? I want to do a podcast with him. Not he replaces me because because he because he clearly had real real plans to keep everybody safe. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Well, we got everyone out of there <laughs> safely enough. The door was a that. push, not a pull, but we were able to get everyone out. We love to see it. We love to see. It. I'm glad you did your job. <laughs> Please. That should be like we were, we were able to do it. Um, <laughs> thankfully, thankfully we did our job. When there's a T Rex on the loose, you know you're lucky if you're able to get people out. So, oh, that's true. Um, <laughs> oh, not you exposing the secrets. See, because I've been wondering where all those missing children were going. <laughs> <laughs> I was just about to ask. Actually, I've been trying to do an investigation. Please, Rexy got it. Now Rexy we know. <laughs> now we know. Hmm. So who are your favorite dinosaurs that you work with? You said you, you work spe specifically with the, the babies, right? That's hard. Girl, um, pick a favorite child. Don't act like parents who act like they don't have a favorite child. <laughs> Please. Okay, don't let this get out to the other ones because I don't want them to- I'm telling to them. Just so you know, I'm, I'm walking up there and letting them, I'm giving a good whisper. I think the baby Pteranodon and the baby raptor they're both really adorable well they're kind of like they look kind of like mean and they're both like carnivores they're predators so like other people can't pet them but they're really adorable to me Girl, i just step love on them. them stop and they could probably still get you in a fight we're probably. talking about a baby we're <laughs> talking about a baby raptor and a baby pteranodon <laughs> the raptors be wild i'm not scared of pteranodon but the raptors they, they give me a fight. Like, I'm uh -huh. going to out on you. Indominus Rex <laughs> out on you. We keep her locked up really good. Now, she's never gotten out of containment. Let's talk about it. Mm. Give me the keys. I might let her out. Okay. All right. Just to give y'all y'all's money. We watched Jurassic World, and it was, it was kind of an experience because it was a lot for me. She's talking about us, too, like her and I. Yeah. It was a lot for me because there was so much dino on dino crime that I hadn't been expecting. 
And um, it it really, it was overwhelming. It was overwhelming emotionally. Can I expose you? Okay. That was a question. <laughs> Marie Antoinette did not watch Jurassic World before she started working at Jurassic World. I feel like... No, that's not true. When I was training, I hadn't watched it, but right, oh, okay. we watched it right in the nick of time for me starting. What'd you call me? Oh my god, you're so annoying. Oh my god. Anyways, I screamed <laughs> like it was a horror movie. Because it's, it's a lot. It's very graphic. And it's like a family movie. I don't, I don't think it should be. <laughs> I didn't... If I saw that as a kid, I would be disturbed. Honestly, I would love it. I'd be like, wow, they kind of ate. Literally. <laughs> they literally Fuck, ate. That's not funny. <laughs> that is not what, funny. What are we talking about today? We are going to get into us. We're going to be oh. talking all about us. Yeah. Well, we know you love talking about yourself. Okay. <laughs> Hold up a mirror. <laughs> oh. Why well, I am looking at the camera? No, I'm not. Okay. So there is a quote today from a show Ooh. that I recently did that I wanted to share with everyone because it got me thinking. And this show in general got me thinking because it's kind of crazy. It's called An Octoroon, which is an adaptation of this play written in the mid-1800s called The Octoroon. Um, if you don't know what an octoroon is, it's someone who's one-eighth black. It's like a very, very outdated term. Carol and Channing. Carol Channing, yes. She's um, an octoroon. Yes. It's like a very outdated term to... There were like terms during slavery and Jim Crow. Um, and some of them are still... They're not like used today mainstream, but they're like known if you go to like places in the South, Louisiana and stuff. Meant to identify how much black people have because you know the one drop rule was a thing. If you have one drop of black in you, then you're black. It's supposed to. It's really racist ideology. And that's literally an octoroon, a singular drop. Yeah, <laughs> not a singular. Okay. <laughs> okay. Um, biology might tell you otherwise, but uh -huh. <laughs> you just have one dab, a dollar. So the show. An Octoroon, it's an adaptation, and the original playwright of The Octoroon, he was an Irish man who spent two weeks in New Orleans, Louisiana, and he was like, ooh, let me write a little story about a little, a little black girl falling in love with a slave master, and that's what that was. Um, he's white. She said he's Irish, but just to be clear, there's black Irish people, but he's white. Yes. And then An Octoroon is a black playwright, Brandon Jacob Jen Jacobs Jenkins, um, adaptation of that where he kind of takes the show flips it on his head makes it something that's supposed to be a conversation starter so the show opens up with this line hi everyone I'm a black playwright what does that mean I have no idea but I'm here to tell you a story now <laughs> this line got me thinking a lot um, about the phrase black playwright as I think it was intended to. And it reminded me, Sedavion, he asked me a question the other day. I didn't answer it, um, but he asked me, or I just said no to the question. I didn't really like give a Very specific quickly. answer. Um, okay, don't do too much. It wasn't that quick. Uh, he <laughs> said, 
do I identify as a black creative? Because Sadevion does, which it's something that he like very outwardly and proudly does. And I said, no, I don't. Um, but I want you to talk a little bit about why you choose to identify as a black creative before I get into get into me. Yeah, I mean, generally, I don't, I don't hyphenate black with all of my passions and desires. But generally, my artistic outlook is based on my world experience and my worldview, which is me being a black man in America. So I think when I say I'm a black creative, not just a black creative, but the black creative, um, it it's sort of all encompassing because then I don't have to say I'm a black playwright, I'm a black actor, I'm a black director. I'm a black creative who is really good at writing and directing and playwriting and producing and all these other things. So that's where it comes, it's, it stems from my general worldview and experience. And why do you say no, that you're not a black creative? It's interesting because I actually think it's kind of the opposite of that. You say that you feel like it's all encompassing. And for me, I feel like it's too broad for me. I. I don't think I would define myself. I, I think it's me being really picky with words. I'll say that. Because I don't think I would define myself as a creative, even though every single, even though I would describe myself as a creative person, but I wouldn't necessarily mm -hmm. describe myself as a creative. Because ever since I was a little kid, I was always building stuff and everything. And we'll, we'll get into that. Um, but I think for me, I, I you know, I, I act. And I do, I've done other things outside of that in the theater. I've directed before. I've written a play. I've done tech, fly rail, run crew, you know, stuff like that, pretty basic stuff. And at the end of the day, I'm always really quick to say, but I'm still an actor first. And I really feel comfortable with that actor label. And I think for me, I just take labels like really, really seriously like I hesitantly define myself as a writer and when it came to defining myself as an actor it took me a while to get to the point where I was like you know what I think I've earned the title of actor because before I felt like I did not necessarily qualify as one I felt like I was too new I felt like I had so much more to experience in the world of acting so yeah it was really it was really interesting I think it's more of a a picky word thing with me. I also think another thing is how I feel like a lot of people, like a lot of people put you in a box when you're black hyphen anything, just black hyphen anything. And the reason that this, I am, hi everyone, I'm a black playwright. What does that mean thing really stuck out to me. Um, in part, I feel like it connects to this other quote by Jennifer L. Nelson, who is a Black playwright herself. Um, in 1997, she won the Helen Hayes and Charles MacArthur Award for Most Outstanding New Play for her play, Torn from the Headlines. And she was quoted saying, I'm fascinated by the fact that we are now in the 21st century. We cannot tell American stories as just American stories. And sorry, I misquoted that. I'm fascinated by the fact that where we are now in the 21st century, we cannot tell American stories as just American stories. 
And I felt that that was really interesting because in Octoroon and also this other play that I was a part of not too long ago called Flying West by Pearl Clegg. I love the play. It's about black frontier women that live in Nicodemus, Kansas, which is one of the first all black colonies. It is still a place. It is still all black look up Nicodemus, Kansas. It is so cool. And it was basically about their fight to save their town. And it was inspired um, from true stories of frontier women, you know. And Mm -hmm. these shows would be shows that I feel like would categorically fall under being Black shows. And they are. They're about Black people and the Black experience specifically. But I feel like a lot of people, once they other something as Black, they do not also take into consideration that this is also American history. Like these were women that moved to the West of the United States of America. You know, in Octoroon, it takes place in the South of the United States of America. Even though a lot of people don't acknowledge it, slavery is a part of the history of the United States of America. And I think that it's really important to emphasize that just as much as we emphasize the fact that these are black stories, because I feel like that's another way of alienating black people and making us other, which has always been a big thing for me as a creative um, being put into a category, or it's always been a fear that I'd be put into a box. I don't feel like I've necessarily been put into a box yet, but it's like my biggest fear. Uh, what are your thoughts, Damian? Um, I think I struggle with this conversation specifically between black people. I don't care what white people think about this. I'm not sorry. Um, because I think it ties into this conversation about, you know, Black people deserving Black escapism in mainstream media, television, plays, things like that. Um, And that our story, and by escapism, I mean that, you know, Black people's, or or Black characters and Black story, stories with Black characters don't need to be centered around race. And sometimes as Black people, we deserve to see our characters just as everyday American people, which I agree with. Um, and I do think we we deserve and need more Black escapism in regards to television, film, um, plays, the world of theater, things of that nature. But I think most people would agree that a lot of narrative plays are written based on real life experience. And I can't imagine as a playwright, writing a narrative that seems true to life for me with black characters and not not acknowledging their blackness or their race or how that affects them in real life because inevitably we all know that it does in practically, if not all, most aspects of what they do um, in their journeys. I just think they're two different conversations and I don't like to conflate them. I think on one hand, yes, we deserve black escapism. We deserve to have stories where there are black characters and it's not about them being black in their struggle. On the other hand, I don't see the hurt to black stories, black history, American history with acknowledging 
black characters and black stories as such. So, yeah. I feel like those two things are different things. Like, I'm not even talking about black escapism. I'm talking about what we would deem as black stories also being called American stories when realistically they are about black people living in America. I think, yes, I think, I think it's a specific, I think it's a specific group of people, not specific group of people. I think there's a larger group of people who don't recognize black narratives and black stories as a part of American history. But I, I would like, I know that most of the people I surround myself with and know do acknowledge st- black plays and musicals as American history. And obviously there are like, obviously there are a lot of people who don't, which I agree with is a problem. Um, I, okay, I'm, I, I'll just say, I do believe that the amount of people who experience and, you know, are a part of the telling of Black stories and Black narratives, I believe majority of the people acknowledge them as American history as well as Black history. So I guess I'm trying to say I don't feel like that's a problem in the world of theater faces. The fact that Black stories are not seen as Black history and American history and equal parts of both. I feel like the reason that I see it as a big thing, because I do feel like it's a glaring issue, um, or maybe some might argue that they don't feel it's an issue, is because we have amazing Black playwrights like... um, August Wilson and Lorraine Hansberry and they're considered playwrights whose plays they're kind of like pushed into the specific genre of black playwrights and when everyone's talking about their favorite plays and stuff and kind of like the normal plays that you'll do I can't even think of them off my mind all I can think about are the like you know like the popular 50s musical which that's not even that's not typically the theater that I'm looking at I usually look at more modern day stuff but still it's usually the white playwrights that are getting more attention for their work I feel like they don't think about these other black playwrights. I feel like they're put into an other character and they're put into like an other's category and doing their work is considered specifically like, oh, we're doing something different. We're living on the edge a little bit. We're going to do, we're going to do a show written by a black playwright. Like it's a very specific and exciting thing when that should be the norm. It shouldn't be something that we have to ride home about. It should be something that is normal. And I don't feel like, I think it's important because these are incredible people we're talking about. And it is important to talk about how incredible and revolutionary they are. But it's also important to not have them playing on their own little chunk of the sidewalk um, in that group because that's where they belong. They're still playwrights at the end of the day. They are still... I feel like a lot of, I feel like most playwrights are writing from experience and they are still playwrights writing from experience, but I don't know Mm -hmm. why their specific experience has to alienate them from the norm so much. I, okay. I, I do agree with that. I do kind of feel like they, these are two different things because I completely agree with you. 
we've talked a lot about how the world of theater is so outdated, like beyond, I think even beyond the real world, like a lot, you know, a lot that's happening politically. Everybody's like the world is regressing or especially America is regressing. We are not, you know, as progressive as we thought we were. I think the world of theater is even more behind than our, just the everyday world. Um, I think that because I do think the narrative around playwrights who happen to be black is a huge issue. And you're so right. It seems like they are put in their own category, but I don't know that that, I don't know that I, in my mind, I can chalk that up to the fact that their narratives aren't seen as American history, similar to uh, playwrights who are considered the norm, you know, white playwrights that are very popular. I think that has more to do with the racism and the toxicity of tradition in the world of theater that has been around for far too long. Far, far, far too long. Um, you and I have talked about the fact that when it comes to acting theater philosophy, there are no mainstream acting methods created by Black people. None that are taught in colleges. Um, and, you know, educational theaters across America. And I think that speaks more to the fact that, like, that probably, it adds up as to why when you have Black people who have been in the world of theater for so long and done incredible things, you're like, why, why is it crazy that why why are why are shows still breaking records as you know black actors and producers at Tony's and at Oscars? You know what I mean? Like it doesn't make sense that for how many amazing playwrights we have in the world who happen to be black, who are black, who tell real life experience, it's still like, whoa, we're doing a black show, or oh my god these this black actor just won the this black actor is the first black person to ever win this award at the tonys or this black director is the first or this black writer or producer it's i think it speaks more volume to the racism um in the world that existed during the creation of modern theater and traditional theater and acting methods I agree with that as well. I do also think that it's all interconnected. I do also think that not viewing black stories as American stories is a part of that. And I think that it contributes a lot to the otherized. I feel like black people in general are otherized. I do not know otherwise, otherized. Oh my goodness. <laughs> I do not know why, but it is really hard for people that are not white to be seen as people and when I say that I mean like like people that like like I eat too like I eat and I have to breathe air no. yeah mm -hmm. yeah no. tea I have to breathe air I have to drink fluids see um, you're getting wild I don't believe you it's true it's true I promise <laughs> <Please>. <laughs> 
<laughs> See, this is too much. This is far too. Now you're now I'm you're going sorry, crazy. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. She's I she's doing a bit again, guys. She's doing a bit. <laughs> um, I want to ask you uh, another question. Do you ever feel pressured to do specific things with your art or to create certain pieces because you're black? I feel like you're trying to make me emotional. No, I'm kidding. We spoke about this recently. Um, as far as me in the realm of directing, um, writing, producing, I do what I want and I do what I desire and everyone else does what they can. <laughs> um, <laughs> as an actor, absolutely. Like 100%. I told, like I said, you and I were talking about this recently. Um, I'm entering my junior year in college and I am currently the, as of right now, we do have, you know, some blacks or a black student coming in as a freshman this year, but I am currently the only black male actor in our department. And that is by two other black people who are women and they are actors. Um, and right now, I really, really, really don't desire to act like at all. Like I do not, I've been acting for 13 years, which if you think about, I feel like that is, and this isn't, a brag this is you know just as humble as I can say I've been doing theater professionally educationally for 13 years consecutively non-stop at least two to seven shows a year for the past 13 years I'm at a point where I like want to engage in other things other aspects of my life other aspects of my creativity and I don't feel like I would gain much from acting for this season, just for this season. But as the only black male in the department, and if I'm being honest, I'm about to, can I get open and honest? Yes. Can I, Marie Antoinette, can I get open and honest? Do it. I like to think that I am really good at what I do. Denzel. And I think one of being one of <laughs> Viola. <laughs> Angela Bassett. I think I am in regards to our demographic at my school. Lupita I think I'm Nyong'o. sort of closer to the top of the game. Lupita Nyango. And with that, with that being one of the, I'm trying to find words that don't sound crazy. Do you see me try to calculate as we speak? <laughs> I think being, I'm trying to wrap up this rant, but I'm also trying to stay humble and not make people think I'm crazy. There, I feel a lot of pressure as the only black man and as one of the few people that often gets cast 
Stop making faces. I didn't do anything. I feel a lot of pressure to represent. That is what I've been trying to say for the last like you've four been, minutes. You've been dancing around it. I feel, I feel a huge pressure to represent because there are already not a lot of black people at my school. And I know a lot of black people. I don't know a lot of black people. I know most of the black people at my school and they come to enjoy theater because they know me. Daniel Kaluuya. the only black person in mm -hmm. the show that they know. And I feel like if I don't engage, first of all, the theater, there won't be any black men in any shows, right? There's that, mm -hmm. which is wild. Then our theater department loses part of its audience, part of the black audience who knows me and comes to see the show because they know me, right? And also being a part of theater is a part of my identity. Idris Elba. I feel like, <laughs> this is literally me while you're talking constantly and I'm like, please stop. <laughs> no, but yeah, I, I do feel a lot of pressure to uphold all of those standards. What about you? <laughs> what about you? Do I'm you feel pressure? because of how long it took you to say because that. Because you know how I feel. I don't like when people make judgments about me that aren't true. I know. You don't want them to think that your head's so big that you're about to fly through the ceiling. Exactly. Because if they knew, you, your head is like two times the size of mine. Which <gasps> Excuse is, me. I know that. Squeeze me. <laughs> Squeeze me. I will. I'll squeeze your head. <laughs> Try to shrink it. Yeah. Um, I have not necessarily felt uh, pressure, and pleasure? I think that <laughs> sorry, I don't think that I'm in the same. I haven't been acting for as long as you, and a lot of people. I, I know. Do you wait? Say that one more time. Sorry. A lot of people have been <laughs> no, even at right before the school that. we went to the high school. They've been acting for a long time, and well, mm, I say that's that debatable. to everyone. I say that's that debatable. to okay. That's not what we're getting into right now. Okay. Um, I say that to everyone, um, or to a lot of people that I haven't been acting for the longest time because it's true I haven't. Um, so I don't think that I, I'm always wondering if I'm just not at the point yet where I'm like, oh, I want to do this and this, or I want to try different things or like whatnot. But I'm just at a point with it where I can't, I don't want an off season. And I just, I think one of the reasons I'm always like actor first is because it's just something that I really feel like I need to be doing all the time. But just because it makes me feel so much better. The community is helpful. I think the community was really what helped me through my first year of college. But I think in general, it's just the acting process and experience. And the community is always like just the biggest bonus on top. Like this last show I was in, best cast I'd ever been a part of, hands down. They were just- I feel shaded. Why? I've done a show with you. I know this cast of people, they were, they were incredible. And that cast. Oh, you mean for the Octoron? Yeah. An Octoron, sorry. Yes. And that cast was definitely great for the shows that I've done with you. And one of the shows I did with you, no, no, no. I think it was actually two of them. Yeah. It had to be two of them. Um, those are also some of my favorite cast, but Octoroon, it was just like, it was just love like no other. It was incredible. 
and it's that community that I need but then also just especially when I have a character that I have something to sink my teeth into and I'm like can't wait to see what this looks like when I'm done with it because I know that I have a lot of work to do that's like some of the most exciting things and I'm just constant I I still constantly get excited to like jump into that I also think it helps that there are things being done that I have an opportunity to audition for that I'm excited about like there are shows that are happening at my school I've looked at them I've read them and I'm like oh I love that I love that so I think it helps that there's also projects that I'm passionate about I think that's also just a really important thing being presented with projects that I am really passionate about. So, um, I, yes. How about that one time, still on the question of pressure, how about that one time, you know, many moons ago, when you were the only person double cast in a role that was written based on a white woman and was the only woman in a cast of all men. You didn't feel any pressure as a black woman playing a white woman next to a white woman who's also playing a white woman. Um, I knew you were gonna ask that. Um, I didn't oh, feel. Oh, you any- think you know me? I just knew that that was going to be on the top of your head, on the top of your dome. I knew you were gonna. <laughs> I don't like you. <laughs> I did not feel pressure. That's not the way that I would describe it. I felt alienated. Mm. Um, I did not feel mm. pressure to do anything in particular. I don't think it mattered that I was the only woman in a cast full of men. That really didn't get to me at all. If anything, that excited me. I thought that was pretty oh. cool. Oh. Um, okay, so. <laughs> I didn't even say nothing. I don't know why you're doing a lot considering what the show uh-huh. was and the demographics of the mm-hmm. men. But, mm-hmm. um, <laughs> Uh, but I will say being double cast alongside someone who is white to play someone who is based off of a white woman, I think that just made me feel a little weird. I just didn't see myself in the character necessarily. Or let me say this, it, not I didn't see myself in the character because I felt it when I was playing it. But if I were to imagine what this character looked like like just close my eyes and see them I don't it would it would be really hard for me to see myself I did not see myself for like a really really long time and that was one mm. thing that it, it was a really interesting show in the way that I learned about claiming like my all in roles and like what I did and like my power in roles uh there was a lot with that show it I felt like I never got to say goodbye to it it took me a really long time to tell myself that I was proud of myself with that show. And that's just for like a lot of different reasons. I get really in my head about things. And for the longest time, I wasn't proud of the work that I did. And I felt really bad and I felt really self-conscious. And I think that being double cast only, why are you about to laugh? (laughs) No, I was making a dumb face. Sorry, I'm listening. Keep going. And I think that being double cast almost elevated that experience. So I had to, it was a few months after the show was done. Maybe it was several. It might've been like six months. I just had to tell myself, I am proud of you. And I'm proud of the work that you did. And I had to post pictures of myself in that show so that I could see myself in that show. It was just, 
it, it was some things. And no, I didn't necessarily have to post the pictures, but I don't post pictures of shows. I don't post pictures at all. So it was like a really big thing of me to post Tell pictures. Okay. <laughs> it was a really big thing for me to post pictures of myself as that character in that role on a public platform. Um, I think it's interesting that you didn't see yourself as her because I think you made a lot of people believe that Miss Hot Wheels was a nickel. Davion Edward Blanton Newell. Well, there was so much disrespect in that sentence. Don't don't, don't tell don't name the show. I'm gonna get canceled. Gonna get canceled. <laughs> there was so wow. much. Wow. Sorry, y'all. We wow. saw a movie last night and he made a joke that was similar to that one. And <laughs> We lost it in the movie theater. <laughs> we were weak for like a few minutes. Like a few. That was so sick. That was so sick. Oh my God. Sorry. So, <laughs> so off topic. But um, anyway. <laughs> yeah. That, that was, it is interesting. Truly. And I think that's really interesting to hear that from you as well. Because I just felt terrible for a long time i really did so i think it's weird to hear <laughs> what, are you what kind of sentence yeah and i just think that was that's really interesting to hear because i felt whole i felt terrible for so long like please okay thank you i did Trigger warning that's, trauma dump trauma dump <laughs> That's factual information. It's surprising. I also didn't hear a lot about other people's opinions of the show. I did. Which I, I feel like it, okay. <laughs> I feel like it also helped me to, I had to validate myself. I, I think it was good that I didn't hear about anyone's opinions of the show for a long time because I had to validate myself. But I didn't know what was going on in other people's minds. So I just assumed that they, they all thought it was trash too. Um, oh. But it helped me to get to a point to where I was like, you know what? That's okay. Cause I like it. <laughs> you know Forced what? I smile. Don't care. <laughs> it was important to me. Yeah, very bad. On New Year's, I told one of the people in my class. I remember. Oh my gosh, I was like, I don't really feel. I'm really self-conscious about myself as an actor, and I don't really feel like I'm good at it. And he was drunk, and he was like, "What?" <laughs> And he was like, "Wait, no way!" What's his name? Say his name. Well, we're bleeping it out. <laughs> um, <laughs> Wait, from like, okay, my class. Yeah, what? got it, got it, got it. Yeah, and then I was so ha- he was so drunk, and he like, you know, like, <laughs> don't forget to bleep it out. <laughs> he was so drunk uh, that he fell asleep. 
before we got to the New Year's countdown and he forgot our whole conversation before. And I was so happy because he was the only person I ever told that to. And I was like, that's mm. so embarrassing because I don't want people to think I'm like, I don't want people to think, oh my gosh, guys, ew, I'm so, <laughs> but it was like a really serious problem for me. I was so happy that he didn't remember a single thing. I was like, thank goodness. Right after you said it, like, did you want more? <laughs> did you want another drink? <laughs> Are you thirsty? Hold on. I'll be right back. <laughs> no, right. Um, I would say the only other time I was concerned about feeling pressure. So our school, it has like a Black History Show program, right? So Davion and I both wrote for the Black History Show. That is show, not our school. Our school that we went to, past tense, okay. Um, so Davion, he wrote two shows for the Black History Show. And By myself. I, Okay, that's not true. Um, that is not true. Do we want to... Okay. Paper, on paper, that is not true. In reality, we can bring some questions up, but on paper, that's mm. not true. Um, anyhow, I was afraid that when I got to it, I remember telling my parents, I was like, I want to write about like... I don't know, maybe like a big happy family reunion. A lot of the black history shows had a lot of black trauma and I didn't want to write about black trauma. Um, and I was like, I wanna do a celebration. So I think I just felt pressure as to what was expected of me. And with the mm -hmm. show I wrote, I was like, is this bliggity black enough? Like that's, <laughs> but I feel like that's been my- and what was your conclusion? Life. I feel like that's been, yes, I'll, I'll get to that okay. in a second. I feel like that's been my whole life, asking if everything of me is bliggity black enough. Because, you know, half of my family is from Jamaica. I don't speak Patois. That's the dialect that they speak in Jamaica. So I've always felt Ch kind of- Jamaica! Sorry. Okay, okay. So I've always felt kind of odd one out there. The other half of my family is from Louisiana, and I wasn't raised with the same culture that Damn, they were raised with. You. And I was, okay. Damn, and I was always the, I was always the odd one out. I was always the- the, the, you know, amongst uh, some of my family members, the, the black girl who spoke like she was white. When I was at summer camp, these, okay, these kids were like, they were about to go into sixth grade, but there was a kid who asked me, they, and they were, they were like dead serious. They said, are you like white, but you like stayed out in the sun too long? <laughs> and <laughs> they kind of ate, I'm sorry. Stop. So I feel like my whole existence has been it should be black enough. Um, mm. But the show, it's also because it was just very different from the other shows. Just I, I feel like in a lot of ways, number one, it was virtual. It was virtual because of COVID. And, you know, that was the first thing time done for that show. But there were a lot of things different. And I think I got to the point where I think my concern was that the story I was telling felt like it was universal as well as personal. It reminds me of this quote that our old theater teacher used to say when we did these things called solo projects. She said, they're supposed to be so personal that they're universal. And that's what the show felt like. So I was like, because this could realistically be anyone's experience, does that take mm -hmm. away from the fact that it's from a black perspective? But I don't think that it did because that just so happened to be an experience 
that I related to. And that was just that. And other people just happen to relate, which is what happens sometimes when we all eat food and we all breathe air. I know, I'm sorry, Sadevian. I didn't mean to throw it at you again. That's a lot for one I mean, podcast. I, I, I but, don't believe you still, but well, I digress. Also, let me just say, anyone who's ever questioned Marie Antoinette's blacklist, blackness, let me just tell you how bliggity black she is. <laughs> She's using the end of a rat tail comb to scratch the inside of her brain right now. That's how black she is. <laughs> Y'all can't see, but she is scrubbing her scalp down. Okay. That's so much. Please. Not yeah. So, so to any of the naysayers, yeah, mm, sit on that. Uh huh. Yeah. Still be a white woman that spent time uh-huh. in the sun. You know, someone's scientific hypothesis might have ate. They, they just might have, honestly. Okay. Um, we could probably try to get through these ones a little rapid fire, but there's like a lot. Um, how would you describe your artistic voice? Oh, girl. Is this high school again? <laughs> I That's feel like we also were another question week. for solo projects. That's also another question for solo projects. <laughs> Literally. Um, how would I describe my artistic voice? It changes so often. But... Um, my artistic voice lies in, this has always kind of been the standard for it. It lies in advocating for those who don't have a voice for themselves. Um, so why'd you steal mine? Steal. Okay. I will put, are they similar? No, they're kind of different. Go. Okay. You okay. Continue. I was going to say, go away. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you for permission to speak on the podcast. No, you're welcome. Um, <laughs> um, I that has been. I think that was the very those exact words were the very first time I ever answered that question in like sixth grade, and I think that still stands true. I think it's a little more dynamic nowadays, um, but yeah, I think that's always the base. What about you? What where does your artistic voice lie? So this past school year, I had a breakdown, um, but I didn't cry. I was on the verge of tears. <laughs> I'm sorry. You got to work on your segues, girl. <laughs> I said this last season, but it is getting out of hand. This is the black season you now, baby. You work on these segues. What the hell? <laughs> Okay, I didn't cry, which I was really proud of myself because I was in front of someone. If I was by myself, I wouldn't mind. But um, there were tears prickling my eyes, but I was able to get it back up. But I was having a mental breakdown, right? And he was just, I forgot what he asked me specifically. Um, He's, I I feel like he's a good trusted friend that I made this past year. Um, And and I'm really appreciative for him. I forgot what the question was. But <laughs> it was something void. that oh, made me no, the one he, asked, no, the one he asked me. But it was something that made me come to a realization because I've always struggled with that question. I think that was one of the first questions I was asked when I was like about to enter the school, and I was already mm. freaking out because it asked it literally asked what my process was, and I was like, "What's a process?" Because y- y'all, <laughs> I I just came off of being double cast in the Wizard of Oz where we switched off at intermission. <laughs> I didn't know what a process was. Um, I Roll never had to memorize like, 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 like six minutes worth of lines. I didn't know what a process was. Um, but, but anyways, so <laughs> ah, 
sorry, stumbling over my words. I felt like my artistic voice was giving, making others feel big. Other people who feel small, making them not feel small. And I feel like that kind of ties into how I've always been. I feel like when I was a kid, Mm -hmm. I'd always tech, I'd always like drift towards the underdogs um, that I'd Mm -hmm. see in spaces and everything because I don't know why. I've just, I've always liked to latch on to the oddballs and stuff. And I feel like it's probably because I saw myself in them. I've always felt kind of like an outsider. I've always felt really different. And I've always felt like I've had a, shut up. And I've always felt like I've had a hard time. I hear you laughing, shut up. And I've always felt like I had a hard time fitting in for one reason or another. And I guess I'm weird. So Davion said that I'm the most unique person he knows. And I don't think that that's a compliment. So, <laughs> what? <are you? laughs> oh my God. It is. Um, so, I just, I really like making other people feel really good. I have like this really mm. big thing about listening really intently to when people are speaking. And I oftentimes welcome people's rants and welcome people's life dumps. I know that's not for everyone um, and it shouldn't Girl. be for everyone, but I like Girl. it because I feel like just people like talking sometimes and it makes them feel good and seen just to have someone who's giving them their full undivided attention for just a second. And Mm -hmm. I like making people feel seen because I feel like there's just, there's too much in this world. Everything is so everything. And it's so easy to feel like you're just brushed by and invalidated. So that's a big thing for me. Love that. Um, I think ours are pretty similar. Yeah, they are pretty similar. Yes. Okay. Um, Another big one, or I feel like it's a big one. Do you feel like you act for yourself or the audience? Or, yeah. That is a good question. Um, Neither. Um, I feel like I act for the character I'm playing. I feel like I act to tell the story truthfully. Um, Most people who know me as an actor know I could care less really what the audience thinks of anything, especially my performance. Um, Because as long as I believe that I've done a good enough job telling the story and portraying the character to my best ability and um, being as truthful as possible. I think that's all that matters because I think after that, it's in the hands of every other actor, every audience member, every director, every producer, everyone else to interpret it how they interpret it. And there could be 5,000 people who see the show and every single one of them could have a different takeaway or a different opinion. Um, so that's why I think for me personally, it is most important to act for the character and for the story. What about you? That's really good. Um, I think for me, it's really for myself, um, talking to some people in some shows, I've heard them say that it's hard because what they do is for the audience. Um, but I feel like one of the reasons acting is such a big part of my identity, so big that I even tried to separate it at one point. Cause I was like, I can't 
just be an actor. Like we got to be other things, girly. Um, I think it's just because the process. Is that what you is, said to yourself? Those exact that is words? what I said. To, yes, yes. Not even a joke. Yes. <laughs> I think it's because it's a very transformative process for me. I have learned so much about myself as well as the characters I play. I unlock new parts of, I always think of acting it's like a journey. Like I'm always unlocking a new ability to do something and I'm always surprising myself and I just love it. I love the thrill. I love the challenge. I love the way that it stimulates my brain. And I think that goes from everything. As I said, I wouldn't define myself as a creative, like as a creative, but I am a very creative person. I, I'm a very imaginative and creative person. I've always loved building and whether it's like literally DIY miniature houses or being able to get my hands on the Lego set. I've always done random things. I remember I used to have a hole puncher and like colored paper and I would use them to, I would punch holes into the colored construction paper and I'd make pictures with them. I called it my dot to dot mm -hmm. business. Like that, that was literally my business. I was just always making stuff. I, I always had I used to get journals as gifts when I was a kid because of how much that I wrote. And I wrote in all those journals. Like, I'd always be like, oh, here's a new blah, blah, blah. I always make sure that I have stationery on me because I'm like, you can always use a good set of stationery. Um, and, you know, writing was my, it was my very first love. I've always been a very arts and crafty person as well. And I think for me, it is just it stimulates my mind and it's how I express myself. I just think it's how I exist in the world. There's all these creative colors flowing and just gotta let them out or whatnot. But um, really quickly, um, before we end with all these questions, I'm really enjoying this conversation, uh, but I would like to get to the next uh, question. I have two more specific things. What struggles have you faced as a creative? I can start with mine for like examples I'm looking at. I sure. say that I loosely define myself as a writer because I have not <laughs> written in a long time. And it makes me really sad because writing was my first love. I've written for as long as I remember, whether it was like diary entries. And then I took some of those journals and I started writing full stories. And then I started writing on my computer and then it turned into books that I never finished. And then I wrote like one play. I've always been a writer. And I actually think that it connects a lot to my acting. I think my process in acting is very connected to me as a writer because I've always put so much importance on words. I feel like, I do the same thing with acting. So mm. it makes me really sad that I have not written in literal years. The best things I've written have been essays. Um, and I think that the essays have been really good. I'm really proud of them, but it makes me Thank sad. <laughs> Thank you. That's actually really kind. Um, it makes me stop. It makes me sad that they're essays. Like I'm that deprived that all my creative, all my creative writing stuff is going into essays for school. Yeah, that's really embarrassing. I'm sorry. That's sad. I can't, I can't even encourage you right now. This is so <laughs> That is so sad. But anyways, I just, I found this Pearl Clegg quote that really, it resonated with me. She said, many times what people call writer's block is the confusion that happens when a writer has a great idea, but their writing skill is not up to the task of putting that idea down on paper. I think that learning the craft of writing is critical. And I think the only reason that resonates with me is because I think that, 
the way that I've gotten stopped. She also talks about perfectionism and how like one of the biggest fears is your writing not being perfect. I think perfectionism and also feeling like I cannot figure out how to tell these stories that I want to tell are getting in my way. It even stops, it even makes me procrastinate when writing essays and stuff. It's like, it's bad. So yeah, I'm a writer that's sad face, draw sad face on me right now. <laughs> I'm still getting through that. How about you? What have been some of your artistic struggles? Uh, I think my biggest artistic struggle comes with writing as well, actually. Oh my God, are we friends? Not as being best friends. Mm. <laughs> anyway. Uh <laughs> I, which, by the way, all of my friends hate, like, hate, hate, hate this. And I don't love it either. I am, like, so protective. Sorry. <laughs> I don't like you. Have I ever said that on this podcast? I personally do not like you. Um, I am very, very, very protective over all of my writing. So much so that, like... There, there are shows that I've fully written many, many. I've written TV scripts, screenplay movies, uh, straight plays. I've even written a musical. And most of them will let it away because of how protective I am over them. Um, and a lot of my friends hate that because like, I will literally be writing something and they'll know that I'm writing something, but I won't tell them what it's about. Um, anything about it um, and I really I'm not sure why that is like I genuinely don't know I think there's just he, a lot of writers talk about this which is so like cliche but when you write I do feel like your writing is like a baby like you <laughs> I feel so protective over them I'm like nobody can touch my writing. I don't want anyone to read it. I don't want anyone to kiss it. I don't want anyone to give their opinion on it. I'm just really protective over that. Um, and I think for me personally, <laughs> um, in my humble opinion, if I do say so myself, I think a lot of the things that I've written are really good. And I know for a fact that they'll never be seen by anyone else, which is such an interesting dynamic. So yeah, I think that's one of the biggest struggles I face. I do think that's really interesting because I think, and I think also as a person, do you think that I put myself more, more on the line than you do? Cause I think 1, that I am very afraid of reject rejection in every sense of the word. Like I feel Which like. Which is I, wild because I just have to say, if, if you knew Marie Antoinette in real life and the thing, <laughs> you would never not even in a million years would you be like oh this is a person that is like afraid of rejection literally not at all but it, she really is anyway sorry go <laughs> i feel i even feel like my rejection might be a little more heightened than the average person i feel like a lot of artists are but i feel like i'm mm. also really really sensitive but i feel like i do a lot of things that have a high chance of rejection and I feel like one of those stop laughing why are you laughing I'm not, you're not funny you're not a comedian no I just saw I just saw a meme on my screen it popped up right away okay Kevin Hart um so anyways <laughs> you couldn't give I, me a funnier comedian sorry go ahead <laughs> stop it that's we're not doing this <laughs> um I feel like 
with my writing, I get very self-conscious of it. Like I told y'all that perfectionism is one of my blocks, but I literally put it, don't find me. Don't try to find me. Don't search me. If you search me, I'll delete all my accounts. But I literally <laughs> put my writing up on Wattpad. Like I put it up on a public platform for people to access. And I shared it with people publicly and I shared it with my friends. And I was always really afraid of their feedback, but I always wanted my writing out in the world. Um, That's so interesting. Please do not look up Marie Antoinette Banks on what, like Wattpad. <laughs> do not, do not go find my best friend's greatest <laughs> writing on Wattpad, or else I will do something to you. If you go to Wattpad and search up Marie Antoinette Banks <laughs> and, <laughs> and find any for writing, I will have a problem with you. I'm just saying. <laughs> now you saying again that is Marie Antoinette Banks for those of you that didn't catch it, Marie Antoinette. <laughs> Do not look that name up. I will I will find <laughs> you. <laughs> okay, I said another question, but we're gonna go on to the next segment. You wanna you wanna hit yes. the music? Okay. So last week, last week, I'm gonna explain, then we'll hit the music. Last okay. uh, not last week, last season we had a segment called um, what was it called? Beef of the week. We decided we wanted to change it up because you guys know Marie Antoinette and I have a lot of opinions, and a lot of times our opinions are very differing, um, which I think is so interesting. So this season we want to do a segment where we give our unsolicited advice, sometimes solicited, where we will take um, scenarios or um, questions submitted to us or online and give our opinions on it. And this segment is called the Black Hole. Hit it! Here we go, yo! Here we go, yo! So what, so what, so what's the scenario? Here we go, yo! Here we go, yo! So what, so what, so what's the scenario? Alright! We are back. So, what I did for this first episode of the Black Hole I went on Reddit, and have you heard of the Am I the A-Hole? Yes, I have. Love this. Yes. Okay. So I Love grabbed an Am I the A-Hole post. Um, it's, as Sadevion said, it's like a subreddit. And basically, people can post, it's r slash Am I the A-Hole, but you know the actual word. People give the scenario, the situation. What is it, asshole? And they're like, yes, yes. <laughs> and they're like, Am I the A-Hole for doing xyz so here is what i pulled for you guys today and this is actually a would i be the a-hole so would mm. i be the a-hole for pulling my son out of a tv show because of his behavior in school and behavior it spelled um i don't think i don't think they're from america <laughs> it's spelled the the british english way so i don't think yeah. they're from america okay my son 12 year old male the son landed his first role on a TV show a few months back. The show isn't very big, but obviously he's ecstatic about it, as are myself, 40-year-old male, and my partner, 45-year-old female. When he received the offer and accepted it, my partner and I sat him down and gave him some ground rules about how we expected him to behave in future. We all know how people can act obnoxiously once they receive a little bit of fame, and my partner and I really don't want my son to end up being one of those people. We especially didn't want him thinking that because his acting career has kicked off that he can let his schooling fall behind because he's famous now. So we sat him down and gave him some basic ground rules. This is just stuff like focus on school the exact same as you would before, obviously with some consideration given his new job, and to not act like he's above everyone else. Very simple stuff. 
Well, the problem is that even though he's agreed to this, he's already gone against it. Obviously, once the news broke, he became quite popular at school, even though they haven't started filming yet. And from what we can tell, he's already ditched his old friends and has been adopted by the popular kids. That isn't too bad on its own, but apparently he's been lording it over other kids and his grades have immediately started slipping. The final straw that brought this to our attention was him refusing to do work in class. Don't you dare laugh, Sadevian. Mm -hmm. And attempting to ridicule his teacher by saying that he makes more money than she does. (laughs) I said don't laugh. So, given this, even though I know it'll hurt my son's career before it's actually started, I'm thinking of pulling him out. We expressly told him not to do this, but he's done this anyway, and I feel like if I back down now, things will only get worse. That said, my partner agrees that this is bad, but thinks that me pulling him will crush him and is an a-hole thing to do. She thinks that we should sit him down and talk to him and give him some time to adjust with the change in his life. We argued about this quite a bit and she's confided in her sister about this and now they're both telling me that it would be an a-hole move all right what are your thoughts wow okay well first of all you are an asshole if you pull him out okay bottom line cut and dry however i think you should (gasps) would you do that with your kid here's the thing this okay. sort of happened to me. Uh oh, Disney Nick. Stop! We're not going there. <laughs> We're not going there. Um, the world's smartest creature. There was a point. <laughs> Wrong, literally. <laughs> Next time I see you is on site. Um, in high school, I almost didn't. I almost didn't do our first show together. I almost did not do that show. Uh-oh. Because I had a, what was considered in my whole household a bad grade in a class, which was a B minus. Okay. Anyway, because of that, um, I was threatened with getting removed from theater shows because I was also working semi-professionally at this time outside of high school. I was threatened with being pulled out of all of my theater endeavors if that wasn't fixed or changed. And I believe that's harsh. And in that scenario, it did not make me want to do better in school. What it made me do was resent my mom, truthfully. Um, This scenario is different. He's being a little hoe. He's being a a little bitch. You can't say that. He's a kid. He's 12. He's He's a kid. He's being a little bitch. Okay. (laughs) He's being rude. He's being cocky. He's being self-centered. Especially after already being told not to do these things. I think it'd be a little different if they, if he, if it all happened so quick and he experienced all these things and then they never said anything. And then they were like, we need to fix this. But Uh because it was prefaced with that, there's no excuse. Okay. There's no excuse, and I think it speaks volumes. We know how we know how child stars get. I think it speaks volumes to the fact that he's already doing those things before they even started filming this not very popular TV show. 
Um, so the plug would be pulled. I think there's no better lesson. You cannot speak to teachers that way. Mm-hmm. You cannot treat your friends that way. You mm-hmm. cannot walk around the world that way and expect the world to owe you these things. At this point, you've proven you don't deserve that opportunity. And I believe he would learn the biggest lesson of his life, getting that taken away from him and having to watch someone else fill those shoes. I know I'd be like, cause, cause, cause let me just add this. Sorry, I know I'm ranting, but imagine what would, what would the popular group do with him after he got pulled from the show? They would drop Since him he like was only add to the po- but <laughs> go ahead, give your opinion. Go ahead. Okay, okay, okay. So, so okay. Just to clarify, if this was somehow happening with your kid, I I really don't feel like it. But if it was, no. you would pull them out too. Okay. Done. I think I think my answer is no, and I think the reason my answer is no, no to what you got to be clear. I don't think that I would pull the kid out because, okay, when I was a little girl, I think I was like three. um, And this is like less, the stakes are significantly less than with this little boy. But I was in dance class, right? Or I was taking dance. And I was, I don't know, there was this other little girl like acting up kind of. And I started acting up with her. What'd she look like? Well, and my mom told me to stop. Got it, got it, got it. <laughs> and my mom told me to stop, and I did not. Um, I don't know why. I was a little kid. I think it was like one of those things with little kids where it's like, you know, like you telling me to stop, I'm just gonna like do whatever I want. I don't know, little kid. Right. Um, and I was continuing to act up, and my mom said that if I kept doing it, she was gonna take me out of the class. So she ended up taking me out of the class right in the middle, and I never went back to dance class, but it was always a big what if situation like okay like I know I'm doing theater now and I'm very happy with that but also what if I could do a pirouette like <laughs> like what if I went to our high school for dance well, you can't. we probably okay <laughs> we probably wouldn't be doing this podcast conversation right now but that was like a future oh also by the way to clarify like my mom and I have talked about this many times before we now laugh about it we think it's hilarious and now my mom she doesn't think that like you should like when kids are doing something and you know they're acting up she doesn't necessarily believe in just like pulling them out of it um because she like reflecting on that she was like okay maybe I shouldn't have necessarily pulled you out of dance um but I think this is such a big opportunity for the kid. I think it's really hard to get opportunities like this. I know it's small, but it's like a starting step. It's really hard to get opportunities like this. So I think that pulling him out should be considered like something that should be presented to him as a threat, but I don't think it should be the immediate option. I think they need to have a sit down with him, whatever his name is. Let's say it's little Johnny. I think they need to tell little Johnny that he needs to get it together or they will seriously pull Lil him out Johnny. and they are not joking. Little yeah. Johnny. Yeah. And they are not playing with Johnny. He will get pulled out. But I think that they need to talk to him about why it's important to respect other people just to emphasize it again and explain to him why he will get pulled out. Like, you're disrespecting people. As you said, that's not how you treat people. You're not better than people just because you're doing this. It's really important to always be a good person. People in the industry don't like nasty people, all that stuff. And then as a very, very last, I would make that a very, very last result, but I would be very hesitant to do it. 
Okay, I know we're over time, but I just have to ask. I think when you say you were acting up with Miss Miss Whitey in dance class. Okay. What were you doing? Were you bullying children? Pushing kids over? Were you sabotaging their point shoes? Were you disrespecting the dance teacher? Okay, I know these. I know they're different scenarios. Um, no, I think I was just like acting up, acting, acting like a clown. I don't think I was like. Right. I think it was distracting the other kids in the way that it's like you're not doing what you're supposed to be doing. See, that's a little, and you weren't twelve, right? Because <laughs> no, at twelve, I I, I knew what acting up was. At twelve, I knew what disrespecting people was. At twelve, I knew what uh, abandoning friends were. At twelve, I knew what. Um, becoming a star was all these things okay but also at 12 you were like 35 but you were like 35 at 12 that's fine let's let's (laughs) take you for example when you were 12 did you did you you know what were you very self-aware of those things if you were if you were doing those things do you think you'd be able to recognize oh i'm doing bad things yes i think i think it's safe to assume the average 12 year old can recognize that what they're doing is not okay so in that case, I don't think it's similar to you and I. I don't think it's similar to me getting a B minus and being threatened. I don't think it's similar to you snickering in the back of class with Miss White Girl. I don't think that's similar at all. He is he's being egregious. He's being a terror. Snatch him out. I'm sorry. Aww. He gotta go. He gotta go. There's at that point, there's I don't feel like there's anything that could teach him more of a life that would benefit him. If I was in that situation, it would be the worst. Feeling that, living through that, that would be, I would feel like the world's over. But I think looking back as an adult, I would say, I'm probably thankful to my parents for doing that. Really? If I was him. Because I feel like I might be upset. I think you'd absolutely be upset for the moment in probably a few years. But then imagine, let's just imagine that happened to you, right? But you were acting like him. Mm -hmm. And then at 21, you booked the number one TV show on TV, right? Mm-hmm. Cable television. Wouldn't you be thankful to your parents for teaching you the lesson that after you after you get to a point, after you achieve something, you need to act accordingly? I think it'd be very much in your brain, embedded in your brain, after booking that TV show at 21, after getting something taken away from you at 12. I need to I need to go about this the right way. I can't lose this again. You're right. And I hope he gets it together. I still would only consider it like a really last resort, but I do hope he gets it together. I hope he's not just like a not good person because that's also I don't a I hope he gets expelled. No. What no. <laughs> and I okay. hope all, I hope I hope the I hope the new friend group shuns him and I hope the old friend group doesn't accept him back. I don't. Things like that really affect kids. Agreed. And he's I'm affected st- kids and adults. <gasps> I'm still unpacking my childhood stuff. So I don't think fight fire with fire. I, but I, he, that's he fighting. No, that's up. fighting lava with fire. I'm sorry. It ain't the same. But anyway, <laughs> I digress. <laughs> menace. He's a menace. <laughs> he, he's a evil little. Oh. Stop. Okay. So Davion. Cut that out. No, I'm so serious. Edit that out. I'm so serious. I'm so serious with you. Look at me. Look at me. I'll bleep it. Okay.
to introduce another new segment. Uh-huh. <laughs> and that's right. going to be our question of the week. Now, the way that question of the week is going to work is we're going to ask it at the end of each episode and then answer it at the beginning of the next episode. So we didn't have one at the beginning of this episode because it's the first episode of season two. But the question that we're about to ask is going to be presented at the top of our next episode. So the question of the week to be answered on episode two, season two of the Black Syzygy podcast is how does your style define you and this is your fashion style specifically the articles of clothing that you choose to put on your body on a day-to-day basis so think about that let that marinate and we will have our answers for you on our next episode um thank you all so much for listening this was fun we're so happy to be back it was and i want to leave them with a quote before we go by pearl This is my favorite quote. Um, Stop. (laughs) This is my favorite quote from her play Flying West that I assistant directed. Um, I think it's a very beautiful line of text. And I just want to let it sit in all of your minds. With all our trust and all our strength and all our courage and all our love. Bye, everyone. Thank you, Pastor Banks. Bye. (laughs)